your point, they fucking did know what they were doing. Yeah, <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the drop. Today, we are focusing on lasso rights. We have executive producer and writer Bill Rubel, and joining him is Kip Kroger, supervising producer, who at this point is legend on the drop for as many times as you have heard his name mentioned across a bevy of shows. We finally got him, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Kip Kroger. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks for we're, having us here. Uh, I mean, fun. we're having you, but thanks for partaking. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks. Uh, Bill, you wrote last season Two Aces, right? Yes. Is that my first boots or anything? My mum gave him a... She was the one who got me into football in the first place. I heard my dad split up when I was just a, a sexy little baby. <laughs> She's the reason I worked so hard. Just wanted to make her proud. She doesn't even care if I'm any good. Just wants me to be happy, be a good lad. Once I got good though, me old man started showing up, didn't I? You know, bragging to all his mates every time I scored the goal, calling me soft if I didn't dominate. You know, and I, and I hated that. I actually fucking hated that. So, I made a vow to be so tough that he could never call me soft again. As well as this season, episode 205. Kip, I think we've chronicled ad nauseum at this point, our relationship with you and Bill's various shows, your own shows, but Bill, how did you come to know and work with Bill? Bill Lawrence? Yes. So it, those are two different things, actually. The first thing is I came to know him because I play basketball. Oh. And, and so when a good friend of mine was a writer at the Scrubs season one and immediately got, became part of Bill's basketball game, and then I became part of Bill's basketball game. And so we'd met socially a few times, but then I started playing basketball with him. And so at the same time that we would play basketball once a week or so, and then I was also becoming socially friendly with him, but also my wife, Jennifer Crittenden, who's a writer, had written on the Drew Carey show and knew Krista. Krista Miller! Knew Krista, so Cleveland they were friendly. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> so Jen knew Krista, and then my friend Matt Tarsus wrote on Scrubs and knew Bill, and so then we, we just got to be friendly. Yeah. Krista Miller, I'm only going to ask 900 more times. We really want to talk to you. <laughs> and then I'm sitting in... Um, uh, at breakfast with the aforementioned Matt Tarsus, and I get a text from my wife, and she and her writing partner Gabby Allen have had a meeting with Bill about some other project. And my wife, who knows that aside from her and my family, my favorite things in the world are soccer, particularly European soccer, and theater. As a result, I love London, said, Bill's doing a show about a soccer coach with Jason Sudeikis that shoots in London. You should work on it. She texts me out of the blue. And I'm like, okay, I don't know any of this. And I, this is all news to me, but my wife is telling me to go away from home, <laughs> is all I'm hearing. <laughs> anyway, so Bill sure enough follows up. Uh, he says, I know that there's things that interest you. Would you want to do this with me? Um, so then I, I read the script. Then I met with Jason, and I was already a fan of Jason's because I'm a fan of Saturday Night Live, my favorite show ever. And then I was like, I think this show could be great. I really think it could be good. I like the pilot. To get to go and work in London was a thrill. To get to write a show about sports, I'm a big sports fan, was a thrill. Yeah. The Premier League especially, thrill. Work with Jason, who'd been on Saturday Night Live, thrill. Arlo work White. with Bill, a thrill. Mm -hmm. You know, 
allow my wife a few months with me away from home. Obviously a thrill for her, so it's been great. That's amazing. Um, were you asked that question about like who was a mentor to you? Yeah. Uh, so my the person I answered was a playwright who named David Mamet because when I was in my 20s, I had worked as an assistant and a PA on a couple of plays by David Mamet. The original Broadway production of Speed the Plow and then another oh. play he wrote called Bobby Gould in Hell. And so, and D Mamet was a teacher at NYU to a bunch of acting students who ended up forming this group called the Atlantic Theater Company, which is a company I became a member of because my initial uh, passion was for playwriting. Um, Kip, I don't think I asked you who that answer was as your mentor. Uh, or no, Randall, I think Yeah, it's probably did. Randall Winston. This was, uh, he was Bill's uh, producing partner for 20 years. He produced everything. He started as a producer on Spin City all the way through Scrubs and Cougar Town and uh, a handful of shows with Bill. And when I showed up, into town not knowing anybody uh, and got a chance to sit down with Bill and with Randall. Uh, Bill's basically like, if you want to produce, you should do what he did because it's awesome and he's the best. And Randall was nice enough to let me kind of try and follow along and tag along and learn from him. And, uh, and then Randall, you know, became one of an amazing friend on top of it and married mm -hmm. my wife and I and everything else under the sun. So. Well, and that's kind of where I want to go with this because episode 205, which you wrote, Bill, is a huge crux of this season. It's really the true, uh, for me at least, I'll speak for myself, was a jarring moment uh, in not understanding Nate <laughs> and where we end up going with him and the journey that he takes and how it all comes to be, which we'll talk about it at another time. But, um, you know, Kip, you are so involved. You're so involved in the whole season, the whole series, in you're ubiquitous, you're like water, you're in all of it. And so I really wanted this pairing because you literally are every part of the writer's room kind of running between there to editorial, to on set, to previs, to all of these things. Like, how does that impact you watching these stories come together? Bill and I were joking about it earlier. We're like, I said, Kip promised we do not have a 212 script. Why do you keep <laughs> asking me? And how do you deal with that? How do you work with it? You know what you're churning out in that writer's room. How do you protect them? How do you work with that? Can I just interrupt for one second? Because I just, I said this to you before, and I said this to you earlier. I've never worked on a series that gets written as much in post as this show. So it is, it is this man writes the show as much as the writers do. And I'm not just saying that because uh, we just had a lot of coffee. I'm saying it because it's really true. Like I've worked on a, a lot of comedies. This one, I don't want to say it gets transformed in post because I like to think we give them something decent from the writing and the shooting, but it becomes, the voice of it, I think only fully comes to life in post. So you basically do write the show. Oh man, that, that's, that's such a, so beyond any flattery that we could, I could ever deserve for this. I, it's, the, the, whole, the whole job for us, I feel like, becomes delivering whatever you guys come up with. No matter how big, how, how much of an offshoot, how different, how short a notice, you know, whatever you guys come up with, it's for us to find a way to get it done. And that's, that's the, the daily challenge, that's the fun of it. It's what keeps it from getting, you know, too routine, which I think we've managed to do pretty well on this show. <laughs> But it's it's everything because even from the way you guys from the way you guys write, you know, the use of a song like we do in 205, mm -hmm. which was an epic part of the whole thing, to the uh, the 
the subtle, the sudden use and surprise of animation in the middle of the yeah. first episode. Nobody sees that stuff coming, and that's not, that's not in sort of a, a commonplace style of the show. It's always kind of pushing it like, oh, so let's, we did all that. Now let's try something we haven't done yet, <laughs> you know, and finding a way to get it done. Uh, and that's, that's the fun of it. And then, I mean, you've been there on set, like when all of a sudden when. Jason and Hannah and Brendan and Brett and all the, and Juno and everybody brings this stuff to life. It takes on a whole new, you know, level. Yeah, it definitely does. And yet, I can hear you trying to minimize the work that you do because <laughs> it is like it's one thing to say I want to use the song "She's a Rainbow" by the Rolling Stones as I did in my scripts. It's another thing to see that executed better than I could have imagined. To see it directed and edited and cut perfectly and by the way to get the song cleared you know what I mean and it's like that's part of producing you know because there's a world where the Rolling Stones say no uh, but I mean so yes and no what you're saying is we execute the details that, that the writers provide but they're like this you know what I mean it's like they're inextricable and not only that I said it requires vision on Kip's end to make it right you know and to be like oh my god that's what better than what I imagined, so. Well, it's fun. I mean, look, man, the, the, we have an amazing team. I mean, everybody, like, you know, Melissa McCoy cut your episode. Genius. Uh, and did a beautiful job with picking. I mean, she and uh, she and Francesca worked on, on the edit for that song, I would say, for days and days, timing the phrases in the music to the image yeah. you saw so specifically and cut it in such a way that it honored the song, which amazed me, and Honor the song well enough, the Rolling Stones, because they insist on seeing it, because we took a five-minute song, turned it into a seven-minute song, <laughs> and they still felt we honored the song well enough to approve it, which was huge. And then people like Tony, our music supervisor, who I've never seen have to clear as much music as he does for this show. Amazing. And not just random songs. These are huge songs with complicated teams, you know, wanting them. and. Yes, the, the cool, my favorite part of, of sort of the post-production, especially on this show, you see it come together when the final cut comes in, but everything is separate. You know, <laughs> the guys, you know, Jason and, and Brendan in front of the dugout is one thing. Right. Then the guys playing the game are another thing. The Rebecca up in the booth is shot on an entirely different oh day with God. no reference for anything else. The guys in the bar are watching a blank screen. And thanks to you know the script dictating exactly what it is, the directors getting everybody's heads in the right places, and we're able to then take that and put match them all together, and it feels as though they were all together, and that's 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 really fun, and it's fun too. You know, even going into season two, we've expanded it. You know, yeah. like we brought in Pedro, our our uh, football director, oh, I didn't who know that. yeah, and he elevated, like season one. We were under the impression we were going to go on a Crystal Palace and shoot. Yeah. You know, we were under that impression <laughs> yeah. for six months. They're like, no, no, we're going to go in there and shoot. It's going to be fun. No, no, we're going to, next month where they're going to let us. In. And we get finally into the, the season. And they go, well, yeah, you guys can come shoot. You, you can't go on the pitch, though. You know that. And we go, what do you mean we can't go on the pitch? How are we going to shoot a bunch of football? They go, well, I mean, it's the middle of the season. You're not going on our pitch. Are you insane? <laughs> and so we go, well, okay. So what are we going to do? They go, we're, we found a field in the middle of nowhere. We'll go shoot it out there, and then you guys can put it in the stadium. And so we did. Pedro came in having seen season one. He goes, you know what? There's like four more angles we can get that would be so cool. And like we can put some crowds in the foreground to make you feel like you're in the stands. And I can get a little more dynamic. 
And all of a sudden, the football went from like here to here, you know, and he elevated everything he did. And I, I, we don't do a ton of football, but when we do it, it's got to look good because the audience is going to be like, it's going to sniff it out if it looks fake, you yeah. know, and, and it, which will damage everything that happens that isn't football as well because it'll all start to seem suspect. So for it to look as good as it did season one, based on what you're saying, and the idea that it's better in season two is just, again, as a writer, you're like, oh, I don't have to back away from a scene set on the pitch because yeah. it's going to look awesome. Yeah, and that is fun. That's fun for us too because that was one of the big things as we, you know, we go through the previs, is we get the scene and we go, all right, cool. This actually has a story point. So the fact that like, you know, in season one, uh, Roy's going to chase Jamie down. Like we need to be in the thick of that action. Yeah to really feel it and totally. then you know and and then we can pop out to the tv when they get in a fight later or something like that but we need to be in the thick of the action and so we would do that to make sure you're tracking that and so going through and kind of dissecting what you guys write and trying to figure out whether it is context right for a conversation rebecca and keely are having or whether it is a story point between nate and Ted, you right. know, that needs to be on the pitch and, right. and not, and maybe, you, you know, not as in the thick of the action, or if it's something that the action is going to dictate, like when Jamie gets his, uh, gets his groove back, right, so right, to speak, in, right. uh, in episode six, and kind of finds his mojo, you got to be right in the action for that, you know, right. and so finding all the different levels is, is a fun adventure. How does it change things when, uh, well, and correct me first, if I'm wrong about this with the two aces, was there, there was a lot of improv in that one, wasn't there? Especially in the locker room where they're like getting ready to burn stuff? Yeah, it's, it's in, yeah, that's a perfect example of, I scripted some of it, you know, mm -hmm. and then, and by the way, that was another example where it was gonna be out on the field, you know, because when you think about it, it's kind of impractical of them to be burning things in the locker room. Yeah. And yet, for production reasons, we had to shoot it in the locker room. You Maybe know? we should do this part outside. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's like they, they cut to outside after, but that scene, they needed to be inside so that everybody could talk. And so I originally wrote it as an exterior, rewrote it as an interior to suit production. And then Jason took it. And what was very cool about that, and this is a little bit of the Jason magic, is he was like, okay, all of you people who are on the team but don't have speaking lines, you guys bring something in that you're going to burn and you're gonna drop it in there and you're gonna say something. And so it creates a feeling of a team and it also, as a writer, I feel like, oh my God, he's using the scene that I wrote and he's, he's honoring the emotional through line and he's enhancing it and expanding it and breathing new life into it and breathing comedy into it. Yeah. Well, and, and, and constantly building on yes, one another. Like completely. that's the thing that's so cool is, because Jason did that on the set yeah. and then he came into post and a lot of times people would, you know, the, the showrunners will come in and he and Bill looked at it and, went, and decided, you know, no, we're not going to trim out all of these, right. you know, for time purposes. We're going to actually keep most of the stuff in because it's going to, it, it adds character to our yeah. team, you know, we're going to build that, we're going to embrace it and then we're going to go outside and do the burning and stuff. And it's cool watching all of that just continue to, to build on top of each other. This kind of leads to the next point, uh, both, both a question and a curiosity of, um, again, no, nothing is beholden to three seasons. You know, we've heard it bandied about that it could be. Or, again, I'm going to make the plea for a May, Baz, Paul spinoff. Like, I need that. <laughs> um, 
But what does that feel like to you as a writer and knowing that there has been an intention for at least that three season completion of story, like that portion of their lives, we'll get to see. Um, but with the yes and, <laughs> that quote that you know we were talking about that Jason always says, which is really Quincy Jones about, you gotta leave space for God to walk through, whatever God means to anybody, but you guys are just kind of swimming in that, but there is clear intention from writers, producers, the team. How, how do you allow for that and function and fashion the story arcs with all of that? I grew up as more a fan of movies and TV, partially because my mom and dad kind of locked TV down, you know? And, but partially because I also, for me, I love endings, you know what I mean? And one of the maddening things in series TV is like, that I've, again, and I've made a career out of it, so I shouldn't criticize, but it is a little bit like, wait, this person is in the same situation they were in last week. It's like, didn't they learn something? You know, and in episodic TV, people make money when you get into 100 and 200 and beyond. And yet when you're into 100 and 200 and beyond, you're telling the same story over and over again. And the character never really grows. Maybe they grow this much and then they forgot they grow. And so, you know, they get into the same dispute with the same person in two episodes. So I love the idea that the show could be finite. You know what I mean? I think we talked a lot in the first season pre-production about movies. Those were definitely some of the inspiration for Jason and Bill both, you know? And movies have endings and, and you walk out of a movie that you loved with a feel good feeling because the ending was so great. And TV series is different, you know? And so I think the idea that the show could be finite is a, is a great thing because the audience can, might get a satisfying, might, hopefully we will, give them a satisfying ending. And the, the flip side of that is, we're not gonna hopefully tell the same story over and over again, you know? That said, I do believe that if, if something, if a great idea walks in the room for season four or for a Ted Lasso mini season or a Ted Lasso Christmas episode or a Ted Lasso movie, that we would honor it. But I think the idea would have to be the driver as opposed to, let's get to 100 episodes so we can be in syndication, which I think sometimes did drive TV in the past. Um, but so you touched on the character development, so let's go into 205. Mm -hmm. um, because it really was, when I first saw it, it was I was jarred. Um, there was such a, a humility, uh, borderline humiliation coming from Nate in season mm -hmm. one. So we're supposed to meet with a Rebecca Welton. Yeah, that's where I'm taking you. Oh, look at this guy, one step ahead. Hey, what's your name, by the way? Me? Yeah. No one ever asked my name. Oh. Well, I mean, whenever you're ready. Oh, um, it's Nathan. Nathan! Oh, I love that name. Where he was shocked that anyone even remembered his mm -hmm. name, um, let alone enough so to put it on a contract, right? And then, you have people sewing into him, building him up, appreciating him, honoring him. And instead of taking that and running with team mentality, he thinks he's owed something. Yeah. And you start to see that come out in 205 where um, it, it's kind of painful to watch someone go to that. And I don't think there are any spoilers. Jason called it very early on that this was Empire Strikes Back. And so, uh, if anything, people now having seen, by the time this comes out, 205, 206, 207, 208, we're really building. And it's visually apparent. Was that written 
with the hair? Yeah, I mean, that's just part yeah. of Jason's vision of it, yeah. 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 Definitely. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and I guess that's part of the question about the writer's room as well, that you're all building this arc together. Right. But you're responsible for, or is that how it is? You're responsible for this chunk of it to yeah. carry forward? We knew where we were going with Nate at the end of season two, and I, I, I won't get into too much depth on that, but I will talk about what was in my ship, in my episode. And I think this is a good example, though, where where a particular vision of a particular person, and by the way, it can often be from any writer, but it helps when it's from the head writer and the star, because like, oh, I'll just do that. He was like, there's gonna be a moment in this episode two, where, or episode five, rather, where we know that the Isaac character is the captain who needs to be talking to, and there's a line which is, well, you know, he, he's a big dog, meaning, you know, he's a big personality, and he needs a big dog to, to, talk, to talk to him, and Nate says, I'll do it. And Ted laughs. Fact is, Isaac is a big dog, you know, so he's only gonna respond to a big dog himself. I'll do it. <laughs> oh, you're being serious. And that is 100% Jason's, was Jason's pitch. And, and the moment that I, maybe you don't even notice unless you're looking for it is, that Nate is wounded in that moment. I mean, Ted immediately says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, actually, Nate was even wounded when he lost his office. Higgins, as a founding member of the Diamond Dogs, it breaks our little Bow Wow hearts to see you wandering around this building, a man without a desk. So we'd like to ask you to move in with us down here with my man, Nate. What do you say? Oh, that would be perfect. I mean, only if it's okay with Nathan. Of course, of course yeah, of course. Roomies! Oh. Oops, sorry. Yeah. You know, it just, it builds the whole season. That's, well, anyway, that is exactly what the point is, is that Jason's interested in what's that origin moment? You know what I mean? Where a character who might go on to a journey he wouldn't suspect is going on. So I do think with character, sometimes finding the original sin, that slight, whatever it is, is instructive to where they're going. And Jason for sure was aware of this. And in, and in my show, the, 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 you're right about the office. That's a perfect example. But in my show, the moment that I knew he really cared about was that little moment where Ted just teases Nate and just takes him for granted in a way that becomes origin, becomes canon for, for, for Nate's journey. Mm -hmm. And so Jason transmitted that information to me. I knew how to write that scene as a result. And then what was great is I talked to Erica Dunton, our director, who did such a marvelous job, and and I told her, okay, here's what I went scene by scene, and I said, this is do not miss this moment, and not because I was so smart, but because Jason told me I shouldn't miss it, and I was like, here's a tip, you don't miss it either, and she's like, got it, and so we were able to execute that moment because the star and creator of the show had a vision, you know. Yeah. Well, and that moment, you know it's in his face. Yeah. Like that's the other thing that was so good about it was it was in the vein of Ted, you know, very earnest and very honest. Yeah. It shows Beard obviously understanding the context of things yes. so much cleaner. And it blatantly opens Nate's underbelly for a, for a dig. And then to call it, you know, to, to subtly call that back because then, you know, the big dog that takes over for him is Roy. Right, right. And then when Roy shows up to see yeah. that he's visibly bothered by it, which dovetails with the Rolling Stones again, because Mel found that perfect part of the song yeah. to kind of put a little cherry on it. 
shine a little light on that beat for him. But um, you also just walked us right into that, the juxtaposition of Roy and Nate. You've got two ships going in opposite directions. You have the big, gruff junkyard dog, and you had this tiny, timid, beaten up puppy, and you have them going in different directions because we have a Roy that's now saying, uh, you help me to be a better me again, and you have a Nate who's spitting on the mirror. And so, again, I think you obviously have these arcs in mind. Those moments that you call out, the humanity of it, just what do you sit with when you're, when you're thinking those things out? I like to think that I've added to the show, but I would not have foreseen Nate's journey as what it's become. And that's, I believe, a, a function of Jason's vision and, and, and thinking out loud and the staff getting behind it. Because I was like, oh, that's a super cool idea. Yeah, Nate's the one with the vaunting ambition, you know? And, and Roy is not a man of vaunting ambition. He's a man of humility. Um, and, and so I think that that's the unlikely person of vaunting ambition. I don't want to say the name of the Scottish play because I started out in the theater, but there's a play by Shakespeare and because it's bad luck to say it. I know we're not in the theater. <laughs> it's okay. fair not, enough. We're not gonna I was going to do it. Though. I have another Shakespeare-based question, okay. so it's fair. It's fine. But and we're that, on the pitch. If, we're not in... If that play, anyway, Macbeth, if that character gets told by the witches, you're going to be king one day, and that unlocks an ambition in him, which becomes a tragedy, I think that what Jason and what we're trying to do with Nate is of that ilk. You know, it's not exactly the same, uh, but it gives me a chance to mention Shakespeare and sound smart. So that's the important thing. Well, if I may, I don't feel smart at all. I feel kind of like, please tell me I'm right about this. <laughs> Jan Moss, the Dutch, is he not the fool? <laughs> we can only speak the truth. He's like, puck, he's like, fast. I mean, and I thought about it once it clicked, once I saw 212, right. and I saw the moment. It's funny. But I've also seen he can only speak the truth. Even in your episode, he says, Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, that is my fault that that goal happened. And I, I love Isaac. <laughs> but he's the truth teller. He can only tell the truth. He is the Shakespearean fool that That's, happens in every play. It was so fun with him. This is just a dumb little side piece, but of that, you know, there's the moment, I think it's in episode three when Jamie comes back and he apologizes to everybody. Yeah. And we intentionally dug out in the in the final mix, there's the moment they're all screaming, but you very clearly hear Jan Moscow, I don't know you, but I do not like you. Yes! I don't know you, but I don't like you. It was so great. And, uh, you know, sh Jason also being a big theater nerd. Yeah. And for, I, I actually... 39th time, here we go, I've watched season one. 39 times, season two, I think I've already watched eight times, and I'm just plugging in all of the different Shakespeare references, and I was like, no, this was intentional. Jason traffics in the best way, in archetypes, you know what I mean? And he knows comic archetypes, and he knows theater history, you know? And so, uh, those things are not by accident, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. No, and, and I love the way you guys intentionally take a lot of the tropes and kind of flip them around a little bit. I mean, that's the obvious stuff that you guys have done with Rebecca's character and yeah. things like that. Oh where my it's, God. you know, where let, let's take what you would expect to happen and we're going to throw you a curveball. And then we're going to, once you get the curveball goes, we're going to ride the wave with it, too, yeah. you know, and take it further. And, and I know that Bill and Jason would agree with this. Phoebe Walsh, Jane Becker, Jamie Lee, Leanne Bowen, Ashley Nicole Black, 
even our writer assistant Sasha Garen, even Bill's assistant Sophie Seelig first yeah. season, like they would be like, no, they would protect those characters, you know, because at the end of the day we were a bunch of white men, you know, yeah. and and so I agree with you that 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 Rebecca zigs and zags when you expect her to zig in an interesting way, but I also do want to say I think the beauty of it is is that. Bill Lawrence assembled a, a staff of diversity, a staff with an equal number of women, and those women were empowered by the showrunners. Yeah. One of the things that I love about this show is it's literally a fun day when the new scripts come out, because yeah. they come in and it is this sort of continuing, like, it's funny, you talked about with TV, one of the things that's tricky is the, the sort of goal to hit the high numbers of episodes, the 100, 200, all that. But one of the things I loved about television was always the idea that a movie, you have two hours to cover everything, and then that's the end of it. And I'd finish the movies I loved and be like, I want to spend more time <laughs> with those characters. Like, right. I wish I could spend a month with those characters or, or two seasons with them. And all of a sudden, when you do these arcs the way you guys are crafting them across a full season of 12, 10, 12 episodes, and, and then another season of that, that those stories get so deep. You get to really care about the characters. You get to explore big feelings and little feelings, you know, big moments, little moments, highs, lows, all the different things. And and you guys are kind of blending them all together so nicely. It's it's a lot of fun, man. Well, I think that brings us to, to something I really wanted to dig into. Jason has said, I hope you will take the time to watch these week by week and sit with it and digest it. Um, Bill, I don't know if you read the article that I sent you, but I actually put in there that I hate that <laughs> and at the time it's hilarious it's so dated i was like i'd rather wait until they're all tivoed and watch them <laughs> together wait for the box set of the dvds because i am the person that i can't i can't handle the anxiety of wondering what's going to happen to my friends hmm. and i certainly you know god bless sam esmail but how dare you with mr robot that was almost two years between seasons it was painful but i'm doing it with ted lasso uh it's it is hard it's you know, but I think that's the point. What's being tweaked is that we want an emotional response. We want you to know that like, these are people that we have thought about that we care about as much as you do and we're yeah. gonna take you on this ride together. But how is that uh, in the writer's room? Are you guys thinking about that? Both that people will eventually binge this back to back to back to back to back many times. Um, but then also we're asking that for those of you on the, the front, uh, click play at 9 p.m. Pacific mm -hmm. Standard. From the very beginning, Bill was like, this is streaming. And Bill had never done a show in streaming, you know? Remember this is streaming, remember this is streaming. Let's set up little things that will reward the audience loyalty, that will reward the audience concentration, you know? Let's not just toss something away and never come back to it. Although I'm sure we do that as well. But Bill was very adamant about that from the very beginning. He said it all the time. And so I, um, it was by design to the extent that the show works in that model of, of streaming. At the same time, we wanted to write endings to every episode. You know what I mean? So it was like, ideally, yeah, you want to watch the next one. But ideally, also, it's like, oh, God, I, I just want to sit with that ending for a little bit before I watch the next, before I move on. So it's a needle to thread, which is how do you keep it bingeable? And at the same time, how do you let it exist on its own? And, and we always, we always, and this is, I think, partially, now I'm going to salute Jason, as an improviser who was on SNL, who's all about the audience response, Jason always talked about the audience. How's the audience going to feel? How's the audience going to react? You know, and so I, and that was a really 
valuable lesson, I think, for everybody, which is it's not about the writers and it's not even about the actors or the directors, but it's about the audience. I would say my favorite tieback to date, I mean, obviously we have a whole nother season to go, but to date in season one, your other episode where Toheeb walks in and says, oh, no, 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 I'm not here for romance. <laughs> yes, he ends up being. Come in. Excuse me, uh, Miss Lawton. Hi, I'm Sam. Sam of Visanya. I, I play for the team. Yes, Sam. I know who you are. Is there something I can help you with? This is really awkward, but are you free tonight? Sam, I am very flattered, but... Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's not for romance. Uh, it's, it's just to get rid of this curse. I can understand why you misinterpreted. I mean, you're so lovely. You must get romantic invitations all the time. That's nice. It is so amazing. Well, that, and also, what a top, what a, so many Cheers references. So many Cheers <laughs> references. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, people by now know that Jason's uncle's George Went, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and, I, and Jason, my memory of him the first season was, all, and even maybe the last time I saw him, was wearing that Cheers cap, you know? And so, and Jason's not like, they did this on Cheers, they did that on Cheers, but I know it's like, oh, if my uncle had been on the most iconic show of all time, I might have it in my bones to yeah, try and do that Yeah, a slight affinity there. Yeah, yeah. Right? I said to him after, I think, one of the early table reads in London, I was like, dude, this is a workplace comedy. And he didn't say yes because he would never, he just always wants you to want more from him. Yeah. Know? But it is, and I'm like, oh, it's just like Cheers is a workplace comedy about this disparate group of people. And I was like, this is a workplace comedy like Cheers. This is great. Like, you're doing that. So I do think there's something about it that is, that is, if not in the DNA of it, at least is like, that's partially by design. Mm -hmm. So the scene where uh, Sam goes to Rebecca in season one and he goes to ask her to participate in the team's thing and she says, um, she thinks it's romance and he's like, no, 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 whatever that is. That scene was not in the draft. And I, we were in London and I was like, I said to Bill, I was like, we're, we're getting ready to shoot that episode. I'm like, I feel like Rebecca's a little, you know, there's a little, there's too little of her in this show, you know? And Hannah's great because we'd been rewriting it on the fly, you know? I'd flown back to LA and rewritten it, rewritten it in LA, flew back, sent it to production because we had, didn't have enough money, so it had to be on all the sets, so all. And in the rewrite, I was like, oh, there's a little less of Sam, there's a little less of Rebecca. And this is what Bill Lawrence, I do believe, is brilliant, even though his ego is monstrous. Um, uh, he's like, well, uh, why don't you do a scene? Let's throw Sam and Rebecca in a scene together. And it, literally, I remember him saying this to me in the offices in London. And I was like, oh, well, what, what scene? Because now I'm panicking because it's something I have to write. Mm -hmm. And he's like, uh, have him invite her to, the, to the, the, the team bonding thing, you know? And, and, and Bill pitched that out to me. I was like, OK. I went and I wrote it. Jason liked it, approved rewrote it, we shot it, and then in this season, we're building on the relationship that seems to have started there. So that is an accident, you know? That is just things lining up, and I don't believe that anybody envisioned a dynamic between Sam and Rebecca, romance, whatever, and, and I'm, by the way, and I'm fully crediting Bill, he came with that out of thin air as a, as a practical solution, because we had to serve these actors. In season one, you guys did not know this, Definitely, I didn't. I mean, <laughs> you know, not, and like I said, I'm, I'm even going to so far as to say that Bill coming up with that 
out of his ass in that moment is what led to it becoming a part of season two. Um, so you guys actually bring up uh, something that fascinates me endlessly and I hope one day Jason will, will trust me to come sit in this chair again. Um, but that wiki that is in his brain and yeah. he walks around set giving people relevant backstory, it sits with me, the guy who plays Rupert. I wanted to tell you something before you heard it somewhere else. Max and I are having a baby. Surprise, eyes again. But you always said- I thought we could be mature about this. <laughs> oh, you're mature enough, all right. You're nearly 70 and you're having a baby. I mean, what are you, a character from the fucking Bible? When your kid hits puberty, you'd be nothing but a pile of dust and a black Amex card. How now, darling? Don't. People change. I do want a child. I suppose I... I didn't want one with... before. I mean, in the end, it's just about being with the right person, isn't it? Of course. And I'm so glad I got to tell you this in person. I would have hated for you to read it in the press. Good luck against Man City. Um, and that he gave an interview where he said, or I'm sorry, Hannah gave an interview where she said that he stayed on set with her all day uh, in, was it 209? The, the reveal of, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that he, he knew the backstory and she knew the backstory and so he stayed so that Hannah could emote whatever needed wow. to, to get caught on camera that day. Um, but it's Jason whispering in the ears, the wiki that he has of, of this story. How much of that do you guys get or see or write with or you know run it back to post with? Yeah, that's a great, great question because I, the, my answer is I don't know. I, I think Jason will share uh, everything he knows when you need it, which is to say he might be holding stuff back that he knows that he's not giving away yet or he might have just thought of it, you know? Um, there's definitely something that I know is gonna happen in season three that I can't talk about that he told me about in a cab ride and I've been sitting on it and I've been telling anybody for two years because I'm like, that's gonna be great. So I do believe he stores thing away, things away, you know, like a little squirrel for the winter, better looking squirrel than a natural squirrel. And then, and then dishes them out. And the other hand, I think sometimes inspiration strikes. I mean, what do, what do you think? What's your experience? Well, it's cool. I, it's a combination of two things. Like for one, Jason coming into post has been one of the more interesting uh, parts of the experience for me because he does come in with a, um, a, a delight in sharing what motivates yeah. different moments, different performances, different story points. Like there'll be a beat and we'll be looking at something, you know, oh, maybe we can lift this out. And he goes, no, but you need this because what she's, what she's reacting to in this moment isn't what you think it is. It is actually yeah. related to this that's gonna, that happened over here yeah. and is gonna pay off over there, neither of which will ever be on screen, but it will end up being here. And that's why that reaction is so deep in her psyche. You know, and so it informs then this trajectory that you know he's shared with the actors and actresses on set to inform how they're reading and playing moments. 
and then it'll inform stories and yeah, everything totally. else. And that was in season one when we didn't know what to expect. Right. And you combine, the other part of it that's been so fun is combining his sort of walking wiki of all of the deep backstories that I believe he's crafted for mm -hmm. all of the characters and where their destinations may be beyond the show. Yeah. But you marry that with Bill's sort of steel trap memory. Yeah, totally. For, and for detail especially. And the, the two of them sit in the room cutting the episode, building towards this awesome sort of combination of their both mentalities, you know, where Bill's sort of approach, you know, in, in the years I've worked with him has been lots of network television where the, the comedy punches so hard and so fast and can build a joke where there wasn't one in so many cases. And Jason's s sort of steel trap uh, for, for emotional drive to inform all of it. And it, it coalesces in these sort of great hybrids of the, uh, that I think has become the style of the show, which is, has been interesting to, to watch evolve. There is a moment in 106, I believe, that still haunts me. I might have to take it back to AJ to figure it out, but um, it's the dartboard sequence. And he says, you know, every Sunday afternoon from age nine until my father passed away at age 16, uh, you know, of that. And the cut goes to Rebecca. Right. That's and, interesting. Um, and then we see, I think it's 210, you know, stories of her own father. Uh, and I was waiting for that to pay off. Like I was waiting for the moment when the choice of that cut, because it was so intentional. That's interesting. You know, and, and again, it's the journalist in me, it's the editorial nerd, but keep waiting. I'm like, that was so very intentional. Could have cut to anybody else in that bar or stuck with him. You cut back to Rebecca. It's, I mean, that's fascinating. Look, again, the only person who can answer that, and he may or may not want to, is, is Jason. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I can speak to the prosthetic goddess there, which is, I think, again, is, to me is interesting because it's so imperfect, which is that whole dart sequence was, a, was originally a cricket match, you know? And it was a charity cricket match where Rupert was going to show up and try and embarrass Rebecca and was the center of it. And Tina Pavlik, who was our producer, was like, you're not shooting an outdoor cricket match in London in October, you know? Yeah. And so it was, it was like, oh, I, so we had, to, we, had to, we had to improvise, you know? And so I'm like, okay, 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 it's gonna be, it was, I, I, my great idea, so I, of course, was in love with it, it's gonna be snooker, because we can shoot that inside, and you know, it's like English for pool. Um, and Jason was like, no darts. And, and he didn't tell me why, you know? And then, so all of that backstory that goes into that speech, was not something we had months in advance because it was going to be a cricket match, you know what I mean? And yet he found that moment, which is, as I think, uh, memorable a moment as we have in season one. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. 
and I realized that they're underestimating me, who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions, you know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? <laughs> Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to I was 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. Good game, Ruby. Every time I cried. Every right. time. In, 39 times. Yeah. Every time. And it was born out of accident, you know, or born out of necessity, you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. So it's like you just never know. For you, what are some of the challenges that you feel like you have to straddle as a writer and an EP? Well, look, EP is such a meaningless title, so I, I don't really put a lot of stock in it, to be honest with you. It's like, oh, you've been doing this for 10 years. There's no other slot to put you in, you know? <laughs> and so, so, but I would say, and more so season one than season two, because, because of COVID, we didn't go to London for season two. Mm. Only Joe Kelly as a writer went. But season one, definitely, I think part of my job was navigating Bill and Jason, you know? And, and they're both creatively great, they both have their own styles. They both had success with their own styles. I would suggest that their styles don't always create a Venn diagram. So sometimes my job would be to be, oh, I guess I'm the Venn diagram, you know? And, and so that was my, but I enjoyed that, you know? It's like, oh, this is my job, to try and find the common language between these two people who 90% of the time speak a common language, but then sometimes don't. And, that, and, and, and going from cricket to darts is a perfect example of that, you know? Where let me help, let me massage this because it was also, we were behind in production, Bill was, bu you know, everybody was busy, and it's like, okay, this is the slot I'm gonna fill. Well, I think it, it actually brings us yet again back to someone that is mentioned a lot on the drop during the Ted Lasso season, um, Brene Brown, <laughs> who talks a lot about interdependence, and there's also a book called Safe People, which I would have to imagine Jason has read because of how many different intonations the team goes through. Um, but there's a story in that book about how if you and I, if the three of us were friends for 20 years and one of us passed away or something, I've then lost the bill that I knew through Kip's eyes. And so it changes the dynamic. And so even the common love of SNL that you and I mm -hmm. were sharing and in your own writer's rooms, you are bringing out something in Ashley Nicole Black as she is bringing out of Jason, as Jason is bringing out mm -hmm. of Brett. And it's a whole dynamic where you guys really are kind of swimming in that space of, you know, leave space for the, the God particle or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so for, for you playing that role and even acknowledging or accepting or understanding that role to, as you said, find the, the common language and, and surface that and bring it about. I mean, I'll just say congratulations. <laughs> job well done. When I took this job, I was well aware. I was like, this is the end of the day, it's gonna be Jason's show and it's gonna be Bill's show, as well it should. They're the creators, and Brendan and Joe as well. And so I was an executive producer, whatever that means, but I was also like, I'm here, and, and I really don't mean this being overly modest, this is the gig, you know, I'm here to, Service them sounds sexual, so I don't mean service them, but, <laughs> but I'm Service here. their vision. Yeah, service yeah. their vision, yeah. exactly. 
Um, and so I'm not asking for spoilers, hints, or anything of that nature, but so far as season three is concerned, what are some of the challenges that you know going in that you're about to face? Uh, I understand probably a Zoom writer's room, uh, potentially not, and those are technical, but uh, again, not asking for spoilers, hints, something of that nature, but I feel like it, you've, you've created a trajectory, so now you have to go in knowing or... So I guess that leads me to your question, which is, do you think there's more things we can even do visually in terms of what we shoot season three? in the soccer I mean, of it all. Well, you're right about the authenticity of it. You know, as we, as we have more rights and approvals to integrate the real players, real coaches, real stadiums, I would imagine we're gonna end up playing in more stadiums. So that'll be, uh, that'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, it'll, it'll look amazing. Um, it, you know, that's, I, I, it's gonna be continuing to just push the ball further right. you know, down the field. No pun intended ball. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, at the same time, I do think that, and this is something Bill's always said, it's like the show is not about sports. You know what I mean? It is and it isn't, right? Yeah. And so we don't necessarily have to put in more soccer to make the show better. But if we need it to tell the story, it's, it's going to be great to, ha to have that access. You know, and it, so, so I think season three, we will, the verisimilitude might be realer and that might allow us to do more with certain stories that we couldn't do before. You know, I, that I, 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 I can't speak to it because we haven't started yet. Jason just is like just is, is going to let us go around the dark side of the moon if we want to with people. So I don't know what that's going to mean, but it, it definitely means that I, the ambition will be to try and continue to both delight and surprise the audience. They're just also in the vein of pushing the envelope with what we can do musically, visually, you know, stylistically. I think with the with. The, We've got two seasons of this amazing emotional foundation of grounding our characters and grounding their stories and digging deep into all of them to now going into season three be able to, to use those characters and stories that have so much weight and yeah. substance to them to now ex you know continue to explore and expand the ways we're telling the stories. It's, it's really, really fun. And look, just on a practical level, it's like, we, we had a scene we wrote season one that we were supposed to take place in the Eye of London. We couldn't shoot in the Eye of London because budgetary reasons. And so maybe season three, we can just have a little more fun with places we shoot, you know? So, so that's just a, like a, just as a fan, as a travel log through London, which I think sometimes can be part of the charm, mm -hmm. uh, is like maybe we can do more of that. So kind of leading us towards the end here, what, what is your guys' favorite part of the process? I mean, you're both involved from soup to nuts. It's funny because I don't consider this to be part of the process, but I really don't get to work with Kit that much. So like, <laughs> yeah, right? doing this is kind of an awesome part of the process, Aww. you know? Um, and so I can only, so there's an, a delightful, I said delightful before, there's a irresistible part of the process that I don't fully engage in, and particularly with COVID, I couldn't, which yeah. is getting to know, doing all the stuff with Kip and Post that Bill and Jason will do more of. Um, but I just love being in the writer's room. I just like it. It's fun talking about story. It's fun talking about character. I just love hearing the voices of other writers. I like it when there's a massive thing. Two seasons in a row, Brendan Hunt pitched something which massively informed my script. And I was like, oh, my, that, that really helps. Not only does it help, it kind of makes the whole show. So for me, that give and take that you have with the writing staff is, is I just love it. I'm a creature of the writer's room. As much as I like going off and writing, I like being in the room, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm, I believe every step in the process is important, 
but I like being there. I like being there when an idea is hatched and then I'm like, oh, I cannot wait to see that. You know, that's the best feeling ever. Kip, favorite part of the process for you? Well, it's, I mean, look, I'm going to steal part of what you said. The collaboration is the most fun part that's been the hardest sort of loss in a sense the last, you know, year and a year and a half. I mean, we were halfway through posting season one and season two, our collaboration has all been Zoom and phone calls and emails. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that we, you know, can get to do more. I mean, I, one of the most fun things for me in season one was when you came by editing. I remember that. And we got to watch part of your episode yeah, together. I remember that. And being able to, to to do that and be like, hey, do you ha is there anything that, you know, you have any thoughts going through this? You know, with you and, and, and to, to share that with you or other writers or Brendan, you know, and Brett, you know, and all these guys is such an exciting part of it. Um, and the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is one of the coolest things that I love about being in post is we are the place where ultimately it will come together. Like totally. one way or another, whatever everybody saw when you guys were envisioning it, when they were performing it, there's a point where we get it all together with big visual effects and a great sound and the, all the music. So being able to see it all come together at the end and especially being able to share that with the other oh, people that have helped put it, the show together is, is probably my favorite of the whole thing. Yeah, and that is also just to yes and that. And then one of my joys is like, because I'm, and I think a lot of the writers are Luddites or technophobes or whatever you want to call it, or suddenly be like, oh my God, how did they do that? <laughs> That's awesome. They're playing, they're scoring a goal in the middle of the, you know what I mean? All of those things. He's running across London. It's like he's entering a packed stadium. Like, how did that happen? So that, that to me is like, I get to be like a little kid and be wide-eyed because of the work that Kip does. Well, that actually is kind of uh, one of the questions I've been ending on is if you guys have any questions for me, you know, and all of the back-end stuff that we get to do here and, and swim in. I mean, Kip, you've helped us architect so much of it, so I highly doubt you have one, but if you do, I'm here for it, literally here for it. <laughs> I guess, yeah, my question is, is because my biggest enemy when I do post, which, you know, has not been bulk of my career, but sometimes, is patience. It's like, how do you have the patience to keep tinkering and not get, be like it's done? Yeah. You know? I mean, I would say this much. His name is Dylan Shadinsky. He's our <laughs> head of VFX. And he has been doing this for 20 plus years. And as much as we are deadline driven, his need for excellence supersedes that. And so there's no, I mean, so much credit to Barnstorm as well for creating Selhurst, but when it comes to the beauty of a shot, mm -hmm. he's very seriously beholden to that. And he too thinks about the audience. Are you gonna see that? You're not supposed to. The stories about it later can come out and we have a whole VFX episode for Lasso. Um, and even on our own South by Southwest panel, when it aired, you know, we had pre-recorded it, so we got to watch Twitter in the chat rooms just blow up as it was happening. And, you know, it was a pretty steady pace, and then you show the VFX stuff and the previous stuff, and it, boom, it blew up when people realized that it was not Selhurst. Right. And that was such an honor to, cool. to see yeah. that. Um, that was fun. That's, yeah. That's, I got a chill hearing that. Well, and when to stop tinkering, um, you know, I think, I think for the most part, we do believe in and understand why the deadline exists. Right. And so we honor that. But 
even in previs where, um, you know, it's it, uh, all I can do is actually thank you guys in the writer's room for not impressing upon us necessarily exactly right. what you wanted to see because then it empowers my artists in the game engine giving you options and so for season one Andrea Aniceto Chavez who who was the lead game engine artist on that for her to sit there when it aired and <laughs> see what she drew right. I mean it's part of the fun of it you know why yeah. else you got to enjoy the process but at the end of the day and and I do believe that fully to be true but there's got to in taking a glimmer of pride in the results, as you're describing, is also nice. So thank you guys for joining us, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time on The Drop.